Tonight, we are going to witness the most anticipated match. Are you ready? Are you ready? For the thousands in attendance, and the millions watching around the world. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! We love the Kentucky Ghost Hunter! Welcome to another night of the Kentucky Ghost Hunter. As always, this is Dean, the Kentucky Ghost Hunter, with my favorite companion, Kevin. Kevin, say hi to everybody. Hey, everybody. Hello. <laughs> Tonight's a big night for everyone that uh, is on our show tonight because it's called the uh, Great Halloween Debate. We try to do this every once in a while, but tonight's special is Halloween night, and we have a special guest with us tonight, Ben Davis. Ben is a uh, non-believer and uh, we've got believers on the line. I'm going to give the phone number out right now. If people want to call in, this is a debate. Let's be nice about it. But people, uh, if you want to call into the show, you're more than welcome to ask questions of Ben or me or Kevin or make comments yourself about comments that are made during the show. And we'll take it from there. But our call-in number tonight is 888-429-5471. That's 888-429-5471. Five four seven one, and the intro was just a little a uh, little fun there for everybody. We're not going to get mean or anything with anybody's night. It's just uh, something we go for. So, uh, Ben, welcome to the show, and tell everybody about yourself if you would. Thank you. Well, I'm all excited about the millions of people that we're going to be reaching tonight. That's <laughs> well, going to increase my bandwidth considerably. Yeah, I'm hoping we hit to a couple million. Actually, let's just cross our fingers about that, though. Well, that's awesome. Um, all right, tell you a little bit about myself. I was trained as a nuclear physicist. I actually was a college professor when I got out of grad school for the first couple of years. I often like to say that I like scotch, so teaching didn't buy me the kind of scotch that I like. So, you know, the old saying about those who can do, those who can't teach. So I actually sort of reinvented myself for much of my career I was a computer programmer, and I also had a stint as a uh, controls engineer. So I actually built industrial controls and things like that for a while. And now I'm sort of semi-retired, and I've gone back to teaching. Uh, but in addition to that, I have my Ask Dr. Ben page. We'll plug that later, I'm sure, at the end. And, um, you know, I go to a bunch of cons, conventions, you know, like think about Comic-Con, just not quite that big. And I'm sort of famously skeptical about all this stuff. Uh, you know, I'm kind of a show-me-the-money kind of guy. So I bring in the technical skills. I bring in, you know, the science skills. And that's where I am. And, I'm, you know, I'll tell you flat out, uh, usually when I have some of these talks, you know, the first thing I say is, I, you know, I would love to, to see evidence of ghosts or any other thing paranormal, because it would tell me about an aspect of the universe that we don't 
fully understand. And I'd love to go find it, document it, and figure out what the hell's going on. So it's not that I am opposed to the idea. It's just I've never seen any proof of it. Now, you went on a ghost hunt here recently. Is that correct? Did you go to that thing? I saw it on your page. I never did get back to you to see if you actually went on it. I absolutely did. Um, as a matter of fact, I have had, I've kind of had to change my story on that because, you know, way back when, when I started doing cons, I guess it's been about seven years now. Uh, one of the first skeptics versus believers panels that I was on, you know, the, the ghost hunter there was like, you know, we just can't get any respect from the scientists. And if they just help us, you know, work with us instead of poo pooing everything we did, you know, we would be, you know, so much better off. And I said, well, let's just stop right there. Let's take a completely different tact and arguing about it. You know, if, if you've got something that can be documented and that can be shown, then I'll go to the haunted house with you. You know, I'll, I'll actually document it myself. I'll write the paper and I'll talk to the scientists and we'll get this going. Now that challenge has been out there for, like I say, about seven years and I tell that story a lot. And finally, back uh, in June, I was at a con, and I said that. And finally, this one guy says, well, we'll take you on a ghost hunt. And I'm like, sweet, let's do it. So, you know, it's a five-hour drive for me. But, you know, we went up there, and we hung out in this graveyard, 75,000, you know, dead folks, stayed past midnight, and we didn't see a damn thing. We didn't hear a damn thing. You know, so again, I'm just kind of like, yeah, that's great. Thanks, guys. Uh, you know, but I am more than happy to, you know, go out and investigate anything anybody wants to. Now, before we get into the big debate here, Ben, let me ask, what is it, the equipment they used and everything, What what is your opinion on the equipment? Because a lot of people are non-believers, look at the equipment that uh, paranormal investigators use, and they, they kind of can debunk it, they said right off the bat. Did you use equipment or did you just sit out there? And if you did use equipment, what was your opinion on it? Well, you know, it's funny. I don't know how much of this story we want to get into right now, but we've got we've got two hours, so just go for it. Sweet. All right. So, you know, they set it up as saying, you know, we've got people that have a certain uh, way of doing this, a certain protocol, if you will. Uh, you know, we have people that are sensitive, you know, and we have the, all this equipment and, you know, this is going to be great. You're going to see what a real ghost hunt looks like. And they basically had one EVP monitor and they had another uh, essentially EVP monitor that was an app that they downloaded for their cell phone. And I'm not sure how you turn a, a cell phone into an EVP monitor if I understand the principle behind it. But that's what they had for equipment. So I wasn't super, super impressed uh, with that nor was the guy that came with me to accompany me on this five-hour trip. Keep, you know, We were both like, this is all you got? So um, they did have a camera that it, it wasn't truly a FLIR camera, but it did have some thermal energy imaging capability with it. And, of course, they, they saw nothing on that either. But that was it. Uh, you know, a couple of EVP meters, one that I'd be, as a programmer, I'd be suspicious of, uh, you know, the app on the cell phone, one that was actually a, a dedicated EVP meter and a camera that was somewhat heat sensitive. And that was, that was all they had. Well, 
And elaborate on this a little bit. Being a disbeliever, what kind of equipment would you need, Ben, to satisfy yourself that there's something out there? Would you have to just see it face to face before you believe it, or is there, you know, they've had the the EVPs. I don't know what kind of, uh, I guess, credibility you give EVPs off of a digital recorder, but uh, what would what would have to be in your face for you to believe there's in spirits and ghosts? Um. Well, you know, it's funny you ask that because even when I first started having this conversation, somebody asked me something very similar. It's like, what would it take for you to to buy into this and believe this? And one of the examples they gave was, what if it's just a cold spot in the room that you can't explain? And I'm like, yeah, I'll be all over that, man. If you've got a spot in the room where something's, you know, too hot or too cold and doesn't make sense in terms of, you know, the physics that we understand, I'll want to see it, I, you know. And if that's the kind of thing that you are reporting and that you think that can be reproduced, you know, when I come out, I'll bring my own uh, thermometer. You know, I'll bring I'll bring whatever I think works. The, the whole concept of the EVP thing, I'm still a little um, not sure about. That seems like, you know, kind of a cheesy way to to get a message from a ghost regardless uh, but I'm certainly okay with them using whatever equipment they think they can bring to bear that'll that'll help with this kind of stuff. So if somebody claims it's successful and it, it does something for them, then have at it. Show it to me. Um, so it doesn't have to be a bona fide ghost, you know, coming out and howling at me and scaring me to death. And it doesn't have to involve a lot of equipment or it can involve a lot of equipment, you know. Again, the people that supposedly have been doing this for years and are experts at it, I'm going to defer to them. And it's like, all you got to do is show me something. And then I'll take that a step further and go, well, all right, now that you've shown me this, you know, cold spot in this room, this place where, I don't know, a radio doesn't play, you know, but it works everywhere else. Then I'll go, okay, well, this is what we'll need next. You know, we'll, I'll bring in a, a spectrum analyzer or whatever, uh, you know, but show me what you got and then I'll figure out what kind of equipment needs to come on the second trip. So all these times you're in the cons and everything like that, nobody ever sent you photographs or anything like that, that, uh, at all. You just, I mean, that was just the first time somebody took you, like you said, but had, have they been showing you proof of anything? No, they haven't. And it's funny. Uh, you know, Annie's not too far away. She's, she's sitting here and I'm sure she'll remember this story. I was at a, at a con a few years back and there was one lady that she's like, I take pictures of, of ghosts all the time. It's just a regular thing for me. And I'm looking at her like, Oh really? And she's like, Oh yeah, I've got some pictures on my cell phone. And I'm like, please let's see them. I, you really got my interest. And she pulls up the cell phone and she starts showing me these pictures and, and she, it looks like, a window with maybe a couple of water spots or something on it. But I mean, literally Annie and I are both looking at it and we'd agreed after she went away that, you know, there was nothing there. And she was a really nice lady. She was fabulously nice. She was, had a really sweet personality. And the last thing I wanted to do was say, Hey, you're deluded woman. There's nothing on this picture. Uh, but again, that's the one time somebody brought me a quote unquote picture showed it to me, showed it to me like, you see, it's there, it came so obvious. And I'm like, no, I, I don't see anything. And I kind of, you know, nodded and said, oh, yeah, that's really very interesting because I, I didn't want to hurt her feelings, come right out and hurt her feelings. But literally, me and Annie, she walked away, me and Annie both looked at each other and we're like, 
that did you see anything on that picture? And Annie was like, no, I, I didn't see it. You know, so we literally, whatever that woman thought she saw, we didn't see, uh, you know, and that's the one case somebody brought me a picture. There have been a couple of cases where somebody has, you know, an audio recording of one kind or another. And yeah, there might be some, you know, Halley noise in the background, but it's always full of static. It's always kind of like, I, you, you can say that's a ghost howling or whatever, but you could just as easily say it's a wind hitting the mic a certain way. I mean, it's pretty vague. Uh, so I've seen a couple things like that, heard a couple things like that, but it's really, I mean, seven years of throwing this challenge down and I've seen very little to change my mind. Well, you know what? I offered you to go to a, a guest us with me at one time. We never did get around to it yet, but I'll invite you to go with me. Maybe we'll see the real thing one day. What do you think? I think that'd be awesome. Uh, good. Hey, listen, let me ask you another question because we're, we're going to be dealing with science a little bit tonight. And a lot of people, um, and I'm a skeptic of science and to a point. I'm not a skeptic in science itself. I think a lot of scientists, and it sounds like you're maybe not be one of them, but a lot of the scientists have closed minds to anything but what's right in front of them. They don't really have the ability to look out outside the box. And uh, what's, what is science's view on the paranormal? I know, you know, it's like we're enemies, like the a person told you that first time you sat down. And we don't get much help from science, but we, I guess we can't prove what you need us to prove and vice versa. But well, uh, I, what? Yeah, and I think a big part of the problem is reproducibility. And, you know, the, I have heard that as a complaint. It's like, you want reproducibility, you know, but a ghost showing up randomly, it's really hard to reproduce. And I get that. I understand that, you know, this is something that's kind of uh, not something you can just do at the drop of a hat, not an experiment. You can just repeat anytime you want to. And that does make it difficult. But... You know, I think as far as science's position on the paranormal, I think most most of us just stay mute about it. We don't necessarily write it off or try to be condescending about it. But, you know, we shrug and we say, well, we don't have any evidence for it. If we don't have any evidence for it, you know, from a scientific point of view, there's nothing we can really say about it. Uh, you know, if I were to talk to other scientists about it, that's that's what I would expect their opinion to be. If they just said, oh, that's bullshit and I'm not even willing to talk about it, then even I'd look at them and go, wait a minute, that's not fair. you got to do better than that. Having said that, I will turn, turn that around a little bit, flip the coin over, and say because I do this and because of the Ask Dr. Ben page and, and you know my 5,000 friends on the Internet and everything else, people are constantly coming to me with stuff, flat earth theory, uh, you know, Fukushima and how it's going to kill us all. Uh, all of that's junk science. I mean, that's just two examples, but, you know, I probably don't have to name rattle them all off. You could probably add a few more without me even saying it. And I don't, I just, at some point, I just don't have the time when somebody comes up with some ridiculous claim, we didn't go to the moon. Uh, really? Okay, whatever. You know, I don't always have the time to stop what I'm doing and say, well, here, let me go investigate this for you. No, I've already heard this story. I've already checked. It led me nowhere the last time I did it. I'm not doing it again. And I don't think there's anything unreasonable about that or, or when I say it or when anybody else says it. 
So you probably do run into a lot of that. And I can see that you run into a lot of that. And if, if you're, you know, if you think you've seen something or you're new to it and, you know, that's the reaction you get, you probably think that's very unfair. But, you know, it's kind of like, I hate to, you know, because again, I don't want this to turn contentious, so I, I don't want to sound condescending, but it's kind of like, you know, when the telemarketer calls you, you know, every night, you get tired of hearing the same old story over and over again, empty promises and nothing ever comes of it. And at some point you're going to stop answering the phone. You don't want to talk to those jackasses all the time. They're not going to do anything for you. So I can understand that position. Uh, you know, if, if I step up and offer, then, you know, I try to remind myself it's not reasonable for me to take that position. But I can also understand when other people do. So what would be the process that you would ask the paranormal people to use as far as an investigation is concerned? Uh, documentation. I mean, walk us through. If you were to do, let's say you took it serious one time and you were the one doing the investigation yourself, what procedures would you use as a scientist to prove you know, something's there. Oh my goodness. That's a good question. So you're, let's, let's make sure I understand your premise. Uh, there's a haunted house or something. Um, and, and you're saying, you know, there's been rumors about this place for years and we want you to go investigate it, Ben. How are you going to do that? Is that the question you want me to answer here? Yeah, I want you to answer that in a way that it would not only satisfy you, but it would satisfy skeptics that we there was actually proof caught if you caught it. What would you need to do? Oh, that's that's a great question. You know, and that's the first time anybody's ever asked me that. I usually, again, I usually defer to the people that claim they're experts on this, but... Well, let's just, probably, let's just assume there's no expert. Brand new haunted house just opened up. Somebody said, hey, there's something in there, Ben. We want you to see if it's real or not. What would you do? Gotcha. Um, I'd probably get my hands on every piece of equipment I could. Um, I'd definitely go find a spectrum analyzer and, and take, you know, readings from, and I'd digitize it. And I'd put it, because well, again, when you do nuclear physics, that's hey, what you have to do. You hey, run. Hey, Ben, Ben, do me a favor. You need now. We got listeners that's not going to understand what you said by spectrum analysis and all that. So, can you explain it while you do it? What the device does? Oh, absolutely. Um, there are there is electronic equipment that can read a broad range of frequencies uh, over the over the radio spectrum. So, you know, you can, you can effectively have a radio that's monitoring, let's say, a thousand channels at once. And not only that, you can save that data and you can go back and you can replay it. It's not cheap equipment. Uh, you know, it's something like that could run, easily run five or $6,000, but you can, you can rent it or find somebody that owns it, like, you know, the local college, you can get your hands on it and get it for, you know, a couple of nights or whatever that you need to even, excuse me, even if you can't afford to own it yourself and use it regularly. Uh, so I'd start with something like that. And of course I'd have thermal, uh, cameras. That should be the easy part. That's that stuff's becoming pretty easy to get a hold of these days. Uh, you know, I'm not sure I'd get that excited about the EVP monitors and stuff like that. I've already told you I kind of look at that with the jaundiced eye, but I'd still carry a couple of them just because they're considered to be standard equipment. And I'd make sure that I had, 
you know, volunteers that were able to run each piece of equipment, I wouldn't try to monitor them all by myself. You know, and we'd spend a, several nights at this place to see what we could get before we gave up. You know, how long? It depends on budget. It depends on how much time you've got. It's depending on who's asking you to do it. But I'd probably at least try to take a stab at it for, let's say, three or four nights and collect 24, 30 hours worth of data and then even go back and review the data, which I think is similar to what a lot of other ghost hunters do. You know, but I would just try to make sure that I, you know, I amped myself up with all the equipment I could get my hands on. So if there was something out there, Ben, what would you, I mean, let's, okay, let's, you're going to put yourself in my shoes for a minute. Let's say that you believe there's something there. As a scientist, what would you think it would be? And let me, let me reiterate this a little bit. It, it, you know, I don't want you to say a spirit. I want you, because multi-universes and all that, science believes in, I don't know if you believe in that but i you know some scientists believe in multi-universes right uh, some people you know aliens i don't know some scientists believe some scientists don't but if you got to assume that what you're searching for you got to have some premise or some theory about what it is you're looking for before right. you get into it so what would what would if there is a ghost do you believe it's a spirit of somebody's passed on do you believe it's an entity from another universe what would you start with I'd probably assume that it was some sort of a dimension that we've never seen before. Um, you know, it, I, and, and frankly, it, parallel universes and, and that kind of thing, it's a really cool idea. Um, but being an experimentalist and not a theoretician, you know, I even kind of, when people start asking me about stuff like that, uh, I even kind of give them funny looks on that. It's like it's it's like string theory. It's a great theory. Uh, you know, a lot of people get excited about it, but if I can't stick it in a particle accelerator and measure it, it's just somebody's idea. It's not real science yet. So I, you know, my obvious choice if I actually saw I some wispy form walking around, along, and it looked like a human walking along. You know, it wouldn't be aliens. It would, you know, obviously be some sort of weird playback from the past or, you know, you, we could say a spirit that's, you know, got off, you know, and trapped into this extra dimension and doesn't look real but is still visible in some way. That's the kind of idea I'd start with. But that would already rock my world in a big way. I mean, you, you know I'm an atheist if, you, if you've ever paid much attention to me at all before now. So the idea that, the very idea that, you know, you die and your spirit or your mind or whatever you want to call it continues after you're dead, uh, you know, that's already something I'd have to stop and rethink if I'm talking to a ghost that actually, or looking at a ghost that's clearly a dead person that still seems to be able to communicate or, or think about what they're doing. I'd be wondering how the hell something could think without a brain, you know? So yeah, I, it all depends on the phenomenon. If it's a cold spot in the room, you know, I'm going to go, well, that's really weird, but that's probably something, you know, got to do with thermodynamics. You know, let's think about this. There might be an opportunity for, you know, a refinement to theory here. If it's an actual ghost that comes up and starts talking to me and interacting with me 
asking me questions, me asking it questions, and me getting answers out of it. And it's like, huh, you're not made out of matter, but yet you've got memories, you've got a way to communicate. Uh, that's going to change so many of my premises in life that I'd have to sit around and think about that for a while. Well, okay, so let's let's hit this a little bit before uh, commercial break comes up because you brought it up, and I was going to bring it up later, but you did it quick. So I, I know from your page and from uh, and some talk we had in the past that you really don't believe in life after death. So the, the spirit part of it is really not a, a feasible thing for you to to if you were going into a haunted house, that's something you wouldn't even attempt to, to search for. So you know we're going to get to questions so i'm going to ask you since you're not an atheist what does happen in your mind when somebody passes away does anything happen or kind of elaborate if you would on exactly the procedure to work does the energy just flow out there is there no energy what's your what's your take on that as a scientist you know the funny thing the way i always address this because people do talk about you know where's the energy go and that kind of thing you know the way i always sort of shorthand this uh and we can certainly talk about it in more detail if you want but i'll give you the short answer first is, you know, everybody's got a computer these days, and, and these computers do a lot of intelligent things. You don't have necessarily have conversations with them, although we're getting close to that. Uh, it does a lot of sophisticated things. It has a lot of information in it, and nobody ever asks when you turn that computer off for the last time and you take it to the dump, you know, where's the energy from that computer going? Well, it's not there anymore. You know, the energy's being consumed to make the thing run and work, and, and to keep that information, but once it's turned off, it's turned off for good. You know, you you uh, erase the hard drive in it, and it's done. I, it's, that information's not there anymore. It, nobody has a cow over it when you talk about a computer working that way. Why would you think the human brain would be any different? It's just a slightly more sophisticated computer. And I've heard that analogy before, so... You know, we've, we've, like I said, we've got two hours, and, and this, and I'm going to go ahead and ask you the questions now before somebody else does because they're going to. But a lot of things, what you're saying is that the question is going to be, well, if that's true, where did we come from? I mean, there's, you know, somebody said that uh, we started from a meteor that crashed to the earth and then, and I don't know, DNA or something was splashed in the water or whatever it is. But, you know, where did life come from if, if not for a higher being? Well, you know, I guess, again, we have to question, or I have to question, you know, why does it have to, you know, why do you have to have a creator to make something that's less sophisticated than the creator? I mean, there are systems that start off simple and get more complex over time. Uh, and certainly well, that let is... Well, let me ask you this. Would that, not, would that not be what evolution is? Something oh, yeah, started simple? Yeah. It's definitely a... a, a for evolution, if you will, uh, you know, that's certainly what I think is going on there. And I, I you know, I think that we develop communication skills, uh, tool use of tools, uh, you know, the ability to get away from predators and the ability to, to hunt prey. Uh, you know, there that makes the case for evolving an intelligence so that you can make it to the top of the food chain. And it took millions or billions of years, you know, depending on how far back you want to go to the starting point to get to that point. And, you know, so it's, I don't think you know, most people don't, don't fully understand the concept of a billion years. 
that's a lot of time you say it's all random and all that, but if there's any kind of feedback loop at all that says, you know, this organism that, you know, it, it may not have an eye, but it has a cell that's sensitive to light. So it knows when a shadow passes over it, it knows to hide from a predator. That's a huge advantage from an evolutionary point of view. It's the first step, and it may be that it, that organism may stay at that one step for a million years before something drives it to do something different. You know, and eventually those kinds of things turn into intelligent responses. But again, it doesn't start with something that's communicating or, you know, you're, you're able to grow crops or anything like that. It starts with something that gets a stimulus, responds to that stimulus, runs away or, you know, chases after, you know, if it's a predator, chases after it. Uh, you know, just the fact that you've got two eyes and you can judge distances because you've got two eyes that are set a certain distance apart. If you try to write that as a computer program, that's an incredibly sophisticated algorithm. You still wouldn't call depth perception intelligence by our standards, but that's certainly a first step towards that. Uh, you know, and so I think these are the kind of steps that occurred in an evolutionary point of view. And I don't need a creator to put all that together for me. Uh, I, all I need is a billion years as far as I'm concerned. Well, the same question is going to start, though, when they come back with her, Ben, is, okay, let's say that it, sometimes, you know, in the beginning we did start out at something. Where did that come from? I mean, what, oh, where mean, did, yeah, I mean, where did the stuff come from that created us? If you there mean was like no the creator? spark of life? You know, yeah, kind of, we'll call it spark alive. Call it whatever, I mean, whatever people call it, I, you know, it's different, bang, different yeah, big black bangs, matter. black matter, all that. Where did all that come from? If it wasn't something somewhere, there or something that created it for us. I mean, as scientists, I'm sure you're going to say, uh, you know, something can't come from any, you know, nothing. But in order for us to be here, something had to come from nothing. It, you get what I'm trying to say? Absolutely. You, if you go back 14.1 billion years to the beginning of the universe, you can say, you know, what started that beginning. Um, and I think it's fair, you know, to say, well, I don't know. You know, we've only got data that will take us so far back. There's always going to be limits to our knowledge, you know. And even if you said, hey, this was a mechanism that started off the Big Bang and this is what kicked it all off to begin with, then you'll say, well, where, how did that mechanism ever come to play in the first place? So you'll always be able to reverse the clock a little further back and go, well, how did you get to that state before the one before that? And, you know, Carl Sagan put it beautifully years ago is, you know, that's part of the beauty of science is, is it's, it's an ocean of ignorance that's constantly receding. And every generation has an opportunity to push that ocean back a little bit further and have a little bit more dry land to stand on but you're never going to make that ocean of ignorance go away. There are always going to be limits to your knowledge. But you, know, you don't have I, to fill that gap with some something like the idea of a god that made it all either. I, that doesn't really answer any more questions than just saying, I don't know. I understand. Hey, look, we're going to go to commercial break here for just a second. I know we're three minutes behind. I'm going to give you the number here if you want to call in and make comments or, or talk to Ben. Hit The number is 888 429-5471. That's 888-429-5471. And we're going to go to a quick three minutes and a few odd second break, and we'll be back in just a second. 
It's Halloween night, and trick-or-treaters are near. Did you stock up on Butterfinger this year? Give them their crispity, crunchity, peanut buttery treat. No tricks, just Butterfinger. Here's a good Halloween trick. Buy a bunch of Reese's. Uh-huh, there you go. Turn off all the lights in your house. Yeah, yeah. And then just don't answer the door. I'm sorry, Reese's. Introducing McDonald's new one, two, three dollar menu with favorites for one dollar, like any size soft drink, or two dollars, like a sausage McGriddles, or three dollar favorites, including Happy Meals. It's your menu. Use it to build the My Roommate Ate My Lunch Meal, the Breakfast Is On Me Meal, or the Father and Son Meal. So you said two McChicken and a medium Sprite for only three dollars. Exactly. It's your menu with your favorites. Build whatever meal you want. The all new one, two, three dollar menu from McDonald's. This advertiser is from Newport, Pennsylvania. Hi, my name is Ben from McMillan Photography. And I'm Kaylee. We're in the middle of engagement season. As wedding photographers, we know just how important your wedding day is to you and your family. And just how hard it is to choose a wedding photographer. That's why, if you're engaged to be married, we want to give you and your fiancé a free engagement session. No tricks, no gimmicks, and absolutely no obligations. Take us for a test drive before you book your wedding photographer. Give McMillan Photography a call at 724-550-1000 or visit us online at mcmweddings.com. Come in for a quick 20-minute session, and we'll even throw in a free 8x10 print so you can see the quality of our work. Again, no strings attached, just a totally free engagement session from McMillan Photography. Call 724-550-1000 or online at www.mcmweddings.com. McMillan Photography. We love what we do. That mouth. That poor, parched mouth. So dry. What'd you eat for lunch? Chalk dust? Did your face storm a sandcastle? Did your mouth cannonball into a barrel of mothballs? You're being awfully quiet. Is that because your mouth feels like the business end of a Dremel saw? Is it because your mouth just wrote a haiku and all 17 syllables were dry heaves? Do you even listen to your mouth? Because right now your mouth thinks its biological parents are a half sheet of 80 grit sandpaper and a box of fish food. You're so parched. You know it. I know it. The entire radio knows it. Just admit it. You want a Mountain Dew? Your mouth feels like it just inhaled the insides of a punching bag, and the only remedy is that neon green potion. Right now, your mouth could be tongue bathing in the refreshing citrus kick of Mountain Dew. Instead, it feels like you've been motorboating King Tut's sarcophagus. What was that? Is that your parched mouth crying for help or a porcupine making whoopee with a cardboard box? Wrong. It's your mouth. Show some mercy. Crack open a nice cold Mountain Dew. Ah. You know your mouth wants you to. Do the deal. I did what you said, Doc. Changed everything. You switched to the Capital One Quicksilver card. And how do you feel? Like a burden's been lifted. Those other cards made you sign up for bonus cash back. Then they changed categories on you every few months. Then you had to keep signing up. You deserve better. Now get out there and keep earning that 1.5% cash back on every purchase everywhere. Thanks, Doc. I'm not a doctor. What? Time to go. What's in your wallet? Back to the Kentucky Ghost Hunter Show. We are here with Ben Davis, and our call-in phone number is 888-429-5471. If you want to learn about upcoming guests, simply go to KentuckyGhostHunter.com, spelled out. That's KentuckyGhostHunter.com, and hit our 
uh, guest show page on that, and it'll show you our next guest coming up, which is Nikki Allen. She's a European TV psychic medium. She's also an author and featured writer at Spirit and Destiny magazine, Take a Break Haunted magazine, and she's a former detective at the Essex Police Force. She is from England, and she's getting up early next uh, Tuesday to talk to us at 7 a.m. in the morning. But we right now we're here with Ben Davis. And uh, Ben, we have a question for you. The question being, if uh, you're saying you're an atheist, if there is no God, then what meaning does life have? And I, I guess that's a, a weird question for to start off on the second segment, but uh, that was the question posed to us. So it's all yours, Ben. Well, um, okay. I, I think life has whatever meaning you assign to it. Um, and, and it doesn't necessarily have to have any meaning to it at all. Uh, you know, there's lots of things that I enjoy you know, to live and love and, and to have a productive life uh, and to have a good time while I'm doing it. But, you know, it, I think it's different for everybody you ask. Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to elaborate on this a little more, Ben, because uh, I, I know this is getting ready to be asked of me, so I'm going to go ahead and ask it. Uh, emotions like love, hate, uh, things like that. Now, are those natural occurrences? Uh, love seems to be a little bit of a, uh, I don't know, it just seems actually love and the attachment, is that just for, uh, oh, how I put it, is that just for mating purposes or is there more to it? And if there is more to it, where does that come from? Well, I think, you know, mating purposes can certainly be a good, a good reason for it. I think uh, loyalty to a mate, I think there's lots of discussions when you watch now, mind you, I'm a physicist. I'm not a I'm, I'm not a biologist or evolutionary scientist or anything. But you know, when I do watch the nature shows, like everybody else, the, the argument is often made. Uh, you know that it's about loyalty. It's about you know the, the female and the male staying together long enough to rear the young. Uh, you know, not get bored and wander away. So there is, as far as I'm concerned, an evolutionary case for love. You know, I don't think that you necessarily have to bring in, you know, any sort of external force to say that's why it's there. Uh, I think there's a whole lot of things that come from cooperative efforts uh, that have given us an evolutionary advantage. Love being one of those. All right, I'm going to have to say something here real quick to our engineer. We've got some music that I'm, I've got people texting me like crazy saying we've got some music playing over our conversations here at this point. So we're having a little bit of technical difficulties here. I know that was my fault. Forgive me when I brought you in. It's been playing for about 45 seconds. It's gone. Okay, that's cool. I just, hey, I know people out there because they're texting me, folks. So if you want to call in, it's 888-429-5471. You don't have to text. You can go ahead and call in. I promise you, Ben, Ben you don't bite, do you? Um. Not often. <laughs> well, that's good. It's hey, a little ben. hard to do over the radio regardless. So Yeah, yeah that's true. I, that's true. Go ahead. Go ahead, Kevin. Ask away, buddy. Hey, Ben. So how do you explain, I know because I don't think it's measurable, but we all have a conscience, correct? Do you believe in conscience? Um, I, I certainly would, you know, understand that, you know, there's this word called conscious, and I certainly think I have an idea of what you mean by it. Uh, you know, you're talking about intuition and things like that that is not easily explained by, you know, a computer program. Right, exactly. There's no way to, to actually, we're all different. There's no way to measure that. Um, it's kind of like going to a haunted house. There's no way to, to measure something when it only happens one time. You may not get a repeat of that for 
the next 30 times you go. I mean, right. this could be a rare occasion. So I'm just trying to understand your viewpoint is on consciousness because in consciousness, I believe there's a lot of, well, you know, it's that, it's that feeling, you know, the inner feeling like your inner body tells you what, what to do, what not to do. Um, do you believe in like mediums? You know what a medium is? Oh, goodness. No. Oh, I, I think if anything, they're the worst of the lot. I, I'm not, I, I, I tend to think that mediums are probably not even honest. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of people that are ghost hunters or whatever are, are just believing the paranormal in general that, you know, honestly believe it. Like that lady that had the pictures, she might have been deluded, but she she wasn't as far as she was concerned. I don't think she was lying to me, you know, but the people that call themselves mediums, especially the famous ones, are nothing but charlatans from what I can tell. Right. Well, there, there are real ones out there, I believe. I mean, how do you I mean. How do you measure somebody who goes to a a haunted location and then nothing about the location at all? It's not a public location. It's a private one. But yet they can go in and get the information. They could tell people about their relatives, their things that you would never be able to know otherwise. Yet they can be 100% spot on. Now, there is frauds out there, actually, and there's frauds in every field. You know, there's frauds in science. There's frauds in, you know, mediums. There's frauds all over the world. Well, but how, and, but how do you explain if somebody can go in and, and nail 100% of everything? Well, so, okay, you tell me that there are people out there that can do this. They can talk to somebody, and they're spot on, uh, you know, 100% of the time. And I guess it's just like the ghost hunting. The first thing I would say to that is you got to show me somebody like that. I've never seen anybody like that, uh, but I would be very interested, uh, very keen to talk to somebody that could do that. Uh you know, so you got to you got to first show me the money, but I'm more than happy to to then say, well, this is how they do it. If I, you know, or try to figure out how they do it, you know, if you bring me someone like that, I've yeah. never seen anybody like that. I'm not sure you can actually show you how you do it to more or less. I believe it's a gift from God. I mean, I'm a believer in God. I believe it's a gift from God. People are given a gift and we all, I don't believe we all have the same gifts. I believe every one of us is made a little bit different, but. Yeah, we, we can, know people. I can accept that. I, I, I think we all have talents, and, and not all of those talents are obvious or common. So, you know, yeah, I, I, can, I can see where you're going with that. Well, as far as the, the religious part of it, there's a lot of people out there right now uh, that are different religions. They believe in a God figure, and I know that science doesn't really uh, – don't really believe in God figured. What would it take science to believe in God? Would he have to come up and say, Hey, I'm here. Or do you, you know, what would it take as far as, is that the only way science will, will believe in it? Well, I think it's funny. I think that there were probably a couple of millennia where scientists probably your, your, your typical scientist uh, probably did believe in God. Uh, I think, even then, there were a world of people that would say, well, there's a natural world, and you, that can, that's what can be measured, and God sits apart from that. I, and again, it's, it's funny some of the things that, that I ponder now uh, when I talk to people on the Internet especially. You know, this idea that you, if you're a scientist, you're automatically at odds with God. I mean, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and I was raised a good Southern Baptist, and no one acted like there was a disparity 
when I was a kid that I wanted to be a scientist, you know, but I was also a Christian. You know, the the pastor, the deacons in the church, my mom and dad, my brothers and sisters who were all religious, thought it was great that I wanted to be a, a scientist. And nobody saw science or being a scientist as somebody that was at odds with religion. And I feel like that's the way most people felt for most of the, you know, most of the modern age. And then suddenly it seems like in the last, I don't know, uh, you know, depending on who you ask, you'll get a different number. But let's say the last 35 years or so, you know, and, and part of it's political, you know, the conservative people seem to be very, very uh, opposed to anybody that wants to think scientifically now and liberals embrace them, which of course is funny to me because generally if you were to ask me, I'd say I'm conservative on most things, uh, you know, but it's turned into this polarization only in the last 35 years that I'm not sure existed prior to that. Maybe here and there in spots or for, for brief periods of time, but there were, uh, you know, my my uh my mentor at Notre Dame it was was a devout Catholic. He was one of the the most you know devout people you'd ever want to meet. I love the guy, but you know he didn't have any problem being a, a world class scientist and believing in God at the same time, and I didn't have any problem with him feeling that way. Well, we got a uh, caller on line one here, and uh, you want to go ahead and put him through. Augie, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Oh, go ahead, Augie. What do you got to say tonight? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Uh, I have a, a lot of things I could say, but uh, maybe just start with one question first. Uh, yeah, I've been listening here, what you guys have been talking about. I'm getting down to the impression that maybe the guest is kind of leaning towards that if you can't see it, feel it, smell it, you know, so on, it doesn't exist. Am I right on that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. You know, it, there's, there's, and and uh, by the way, I have a ghost story I can tell you if you want to hear it at some point. Um, uh, but if it, okay. if it, if it can't be measured, um, it's not necessarily that it doesn't exist. But in the same token, it's like, why would I concern myself with it if it's not okay. able to interact with me and it doesn't doesn't have an influence on the world that I live in. I, maybe it's there, maybe it's not, but I'm going to assume that it's not. I totally agree with you in many of your uh, your theories there that, you know, you got to have some evidence. And uh, for the uh, ghost hunters out there or the uh, mediums or whoever goes out to the graveyard in the middle of the night with an EVP uh, type of equipment and don't get anything, that is, uh, that's very common. And there are very few things that can be elevated to evidence out there. But that means to me that if we're doing what they're doing, we shouldn't be doing it. We should be doing like the ones that is getting results. Let me give you two things to chew on. First of all, are you familiar with the fourth generation night vision goggles? Vaguely. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not sure where you're going okay. with this. but Oh, yeah. I'll be going right home. Uh, okay. Because that is a military-grade equipment that was given to the soldiers in the Middle East during the uh, <laughs> police action over there. And, right. 
And uh, they got all kinds of complaints from the soldiers saying, uh, what is this stuff? We put on these goggles and we see people walking around, take off the goggles, and they are not there anymore. So they confiscated all this uh, fourth-generation night vision goggles, and it was only given to high-ranking officers after that. Um, Art, uh, not Art, yeah, uh, Nor- George Norrie did a show on it because uh, somebody, he was standing at a hotel one time and they had uh, one of those goggles uh, there and uh, George Norrie put it on, pointed it into the sky and he saw flying triangles and discs flying around and they did a show on it afterwards. It blew him away. If you get your hands on one of those and you go outside um Dusk is probably, uh, the, the late dusk is probably better than total darkness. Uh, point it into the sky, and you're going to see stuff, because it is up there. And another guy over in France, they all he took pictures of ghosts every time he went to the graveyard. And the way he did that was that he took a... Uh, a little Tesla coil with him, put it up next to a freshly dug grave, and he walked away 20 feet, took a whole bunch of pictures, and very often he could see the guy that was laying in the ground standing next to the uh, grave. And the people in town, this was back in the 1970s, they got so scared they thought he was worth working with Satan, you know, of course. And they ran him out of town, they almost killed the guy. And this was written up in European newspapers, and I saw uh, some of the pictures. I, I grew up in Europe. I read European newspapers in several languages, so I got a hold of this, and it blew me away. So there is stuff out there, and it can't be measured unless you use the kind of equipment that other people don't do when they don't get any results. Sure, I, I get that. You know, if, if you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And there if you're not you getting go. results, then you need to do something different. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that, uh, this can be taken even further into the paranormal. What about time travel and stuff like that? What do you think of that? Oh, I think it would be awesome if you could manage it. I mean, one of my favorite things to study, you know, in my spare time, what little I have these days, you know, is, is general relativity. Uh, and part of that is bending space and time. I, that is just, even now, you know, with, with all the years that I've been in school and all of that, it's it's still just mind-bending for me. Uh, it, yeah. it's, it, it would be great if, if you could figure out how to do that. Uh, it has been figured out, but it's not for public consumption. And uh, here, I read, I've studied uh, quantum mechanics quite a bit, and I've been into these corners of the universe, too, or the universe, S, maybe. Uh, I read in an article in Science Magazine. Uh, it, it's called Technology and Innovation. Uh, physicists there demonstrate how time can actually seem to run backwards and the future can affect the past. It was written up by, uh, written a paper up by Professor Andrew Trescott. Another article in Nature Physics speaks of a study and some scientific experiments. Uh, I know those experiments. I've studied them, and they seem solid. They actually show how time does run backwards. So we got to remember that we've only... What do you think about 250, 300 years of scientific advancement? 
What in the world do you think this world would be like if we had a thousand or sure. five thousand or a million years of advancement without being interrupted? We'd be doing these things. Oh, yeah. Well, one would hope, uh, you know, one would hope there wouldn't be like an absolute limit there that you couldn't get around. Well, we have the technology to take care of absolutely anything now, including asteroids. It's just that the will may not be there. Well, not not today. It's certainly not yeah. in the current political environment, uh, you know. And, yeah. and the fact that science seems to be less important with the people that are in charge right now uh, than it once was, even say thirty-five years ago. Again, we'll we'll use that thirty-five years like a magic number. I don't know whether it really means anything or not, but I'll, I'll probably throw that out a few more times because it does seem like something fundamentally changed with people's attitudes, you know, even back then, yeah. roughly about that time. That hmm? uh, could very well be. And I tell you, though, there is an advancement right now, and you've probably seen it too. People are waking up to the fact that uh, it's not really like we um, think it is. Uh, there is... Um, you know, like um, the, the uh, head of the CIA under Ronald Reagan, you know, he, I think it was William Casey, he said that when we wake up one day and find that everything people know is false, we know that our disinformation program is working. So not everything you see out there is so, including for science. Science, to a great degree, is also bought and paid for. And it's not necessarily what it seems to be. Well, it's I've heard that argument before. Actually, the last time I did, you know, a podcast, I, I heard that argument. Um, all I can say about that is the science that I've been taught has been wonderfully self-consistent. Yeah. So if there's some gap in there, it's they've done a really good job of, of putting that, you know, of closing that gap so that it's not obvious to anybody. Yeah. When you get into plasma physics, uh, a lot of things does not accord is not work according to uh, Newton. You know, so there is an area in there where you actually uh, the mind of the experimenter is more important than the experiment itself, and it's proven to be that way. I've I've heard that before. Yeah, yeah, and you come out of uh, nuclear physics. Uh, Maybe, uh, what do you think that uh, if they used thorium instead, we wouldn't have the problems that we have now, would we? Oh, my goodness. You do not want me to get on my soapbox about nuclear physics. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole other show. Um, thorium is a good choice. Uh, there's, it's, it's not the only choice. Uh, pebble bed reactors are great. Uh, you know, Actually, just even regular standard reactors with modern safety systems are a lot better than they used to be. You know, and it's this, it's funny, you know, when you start talking about nuclear physics, people are just naturally afraid of it because it's something that didn't exist in the minds of most people 50 years ago. They still haven't got comfortable with it. I'm, you know, people are, are deathly afraid of biologic weapons, you know, but yet we still... Yeah. You know, talk yeah. about DNA testing. We still talk about doing all kinds of biological uh, things. We still talk about medicine and, and you know, trying to do uh, gene therapy on people now to, to cure them of cancer. 
you know, eventually people realize the benefits of, of all this knowledge outweigh the dangers, regardless of what those dangers might be. And hopefully people come around in, on nuclear power and figure that out, too, because we're all sitting here choking to death in these greenhouse gases, and everybody says it's a problem now, or most everybody says it's a problem now. Uh, you know, and that would have never been a problem if we'd gone over to nuclear power 50 years ago. You know, hey ben, man, I got a question. Environmentalists to talk about that. No, I'm hey sorry. Ben, I got a question. Yeah, I got a question for you. It just popped on the screen. We're going to go to commercial hair break in just a minute, but I'm going to try to get this into you before we went into commercial break. Do you have any beliefs at all that we may have been transplanted here by another race, or is that just totally out of the realm? I wouldn't say it's totally out of out of the realm. I've heard the theory before. Uh, again, it's one of those premises that doesn't solve any problems for me or doesn't make me more comfortable about my understanding of the universe. It could have happened. It could have just as easily happened that life, uh, you know, through sunlight and energy in the oceans and just the right mixing of the chemicals uh, popped up spontaneously right here on this planet. Uh, even if it came from another planet or another galaxy or whatever, somewhere there had to be a seed of life that popped up spontaneously. Just skip the fact that an alien, you know, brought it here and just say that it happened on the Earth. That works just as well as far as my understanding of the universe as any of the other theories. Occam's razor, yeah, right? It, Keep it simple. If you look at the written history of, of mankind, uh, then we need to read the Sumerian tablets written anything from about six, 7,000 years ago to 35,000 years ago. They explain how they came to Earth and how they genetically manipulated a creature back then to become us. So it's there. Well, there's, I can believe that there's some evidence for that, yes, but, I mean, you know, there may not be a lot. I've n I've not heard that theory being proffered as being ubiquitous. And with that, guys, we're going to go to commercial break. Augie, thanks for the call in, buddy, and uh, we'll be back here in about three minutes and a few odd seconds. See you guys soon. Thank you, thank you. It's Halloween night, and trick or treaters are near. Did you stock up on Butterfinger this year? Give them their crispity, crunchity, peanut buttery treat. No tricks, just Butterfinger. Here's a good Halloween trick. Buy a bunch of Reese's. Uh-huh, there you go. Turn off all the lights in your house. Yeah, yeah. And then just don't answer the door. I'm sorry, Reese's. Introducing McDonald's new one two three dollars menu. With favorites for $1, like any size soft drink, or $2, like a sausage McGriddles, or $3 favorites, including Happy Meals. It's your menu. Use it to build the My Roommate Ate My Lunch Meal, the Breakfast Is On Me Meal, or the Father and Son Meal. So you said two McChicken and a medium Sprite for only $3. Exactly. It's your menu with your favorites. Build whatever meal you want. The all-new $1-2-3 menu from McDonald's. This advertiser is from Newport, Pennsylvania. Hi, my name is Ben from McMillan Photography. And I'm Kaylee. We're in the middle of engagement season. As wedding photographers, we know just how important your wedding day is to you and your family. And just how hard it is to choose a wedding photographer. That's why, if you're engaged to be married, we want to give you and your fiancé a free engagement session. No tricks, no gimmicks, and absolutely no obligations. Take us for a test drive before you book your wedding photographer. Give McMillan Photography a call at 724-550-1000. Or visit us online at mcmweddings.com. 
come in for a quick 20 minute session and we'll even throw in a free 8x10 print so you can see the quality of our work. Again, no strings attached, just a totally free engagement session from Macmillan Photography. Call 724-550-1000 or online at www.mcmweddings.com. Macmillan Photography. We love what we do. That mouth. That poor, parched mouth. So dry. What'd you eat for lunch? Chalk dust? Did your face storm a sandcastle? Did your mouth cannonball into a barrel of mothballs? You're being awfully quiet. Is that because your mouth feels like the business end of a Dremel saw? Is it because your mouth just wrote a haiku and all 17 syllables were dry heaves? Do you even listen to your mouth? Because right now your mouth thinks its biological parents are a half sheet of 80 grit sandpaper and a box of fish food. You're so parched. You know it. I know it. The entire radio knows it. Just admit it. You want a Mountain Dew? Your mouth feels like it just inhaled the insides of a punching bag, and the only remedy is that neon green potion. Right now, your mouth could be tongue-bathing in the refreshing citrus kick of Mountain Dew. Instead, it feels like you've been motorboating King Tut's sarcophagus. What was that? Was that your parched mouth crying for help, or a porcupine making whoopee with a cardboard box? Wrong. It's your mouth. Show some mercy. Crack open a nice cold Mountain Dew. Ah. You know your mouth wants you to. Do the deal. I did what you said, Doc. Changed everything. You switched to the Capital One Quicksilver card. And how do you feel? Uh, like a burden's been lifted. Those other cards made you sign up for bonus cash back. Then they changed categories on you every few months. Then you had to keep signing up. You deserve better. Now get out there and keep earning that 1.5% cash back on every purchase everywhere. Thanks, Doc. I'm not a doctor. What? Time to go. What's in your wallet? Welcome back to the Kentucky Ghost Hunter Show. This is Dean, the Kentucky Ghost Hunter. Our call-in number is 888-429-5471. That's 888-429-5471. Guys, don't be scared to call in with your questions. Ben will not bite, I promise, and I know Kevin doesn't either. Uh, if you want to find out about our future guests, such as Nikki Allen, who will be on next week's show, you can go to KentuckyGhostHunter.com. That's spelled out KentuckyGhostHunter.com. Gives you links to the show. Past shows are on there too, and it gives you a little bit of idea about what we do. Kevin, you had a question during the break. You said you wanted to start off this segment with, so we're going to go to Kevin. Yeah. So, Ben, are you would, would you be open to the idea that you said before we're all different and we're all we're not all the exact same? But you know, there's left brain people, right brain people. The possibility that half the country believes in, in spirits and ghosts and many have had experiences of their own that maybe we don't use our entire brain. Maybe I use a different part of my brain than say you use and then Dean uses and that maybe the people like us who have actually had experiences, personal experiences and actually seen things ourselves that maybe we have opened up that doorway to see those things that you just haven't, you know, experienced that maybe you're part of your brain, just not open to that yet, or you haven't found that doorway. Oh, I think that's a real possibility. I mean, shoot, there's, you know, branches of physics that I can't even see, you know, that I've, I've spent years trying to get better at understanding. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, the fact that I might not be sensitive to certain uh, influences, shall we say, that other people are, I, I, I would grant that. But, you know, if it's real, there's got to be a way that we can take a picture of it. Uh, you know, something, 
you can't just you know say well some people are sensitive to it and some people aren't because some people do drugs uh you know and (laughs) they see all kinds of things you know so we've got to find a way that you know we we can you know objectively look at this right but not everything can be seen though per se like um example gravity i believe in gravity you believe in gravity we can't actually see it though we know it's there we certainly experience its effects we we, yes but you can't we say this thing called gravity and we all have a grasp as to as to the effect it has on us whether we can describe it mathematically or not right but there's things in space we can't photograph i mean like inner inside a black hole we really don't know what's inside a black hole or at the bottom of a black hole correct a dark matter which they now say makes up you know 30 percent of the universe and then dark energy that makes up another 60 or something you know almost all the universe is stuff we can't see according to current theory right my question my question though is i mean those are all theories you know we don't we don't actually know for sure we've actually not experienced gone to the bottom of a black hole before so we really don't know what's down there how that works or is it a wormhole that allows things to come in other dimensions come back and forth i don't know right and again this is where i tend to say i'm an experimentalist and if i can't stick it in a particle accelerator and measure it then even from a scientific point of view and I'm, there's going to be theoreticians that are listening right now that are going to want to scream at me uh, but if it can't be measured uh, and demonstrated in some some way, uh, it's 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 a good idea, it's a good thought, but that doesn't necessarily mean it represents reality. Right. Um, you know, and the thing about the black hole, even, you know, the concept of a Schwarzschild radius is is easily enough to understand. It's the point where the gravity is strong enough that even light can't escape. But what's on the other side of that event horizon? Nobody knows what's on the other side of the event horizon. So let, let me back up for a minute, if you don't care, Ben, and kind of and, and go back into exactly what you guys were talking about. A lot of religious people, and I guess this is going to be where you say to measure and touch and feel and all that, but a lot of religious people uh, would say to you, but you are experiencing, you are touching, you are feeling everything. Well, let's just take this this Earth for example. I guess I need to, to kind of explain where I'm going with this. Um, life is abundant on this planet, and as a scientist, if you go by scientific odds and not what you see face to face, I think you would agree that none of this life, by scientific odds, should even be here. The, the us being alive, the plants being alive, the fish being alive, the you know everything. The odds of it occurring where there is life is exponentially. Well, basically, it's impossible, but yet we're here. So a lot of people are going to ask you this. Maybe that is your proof that you need that there's something here that we don't understand as a creator because of the different forms of life and the life itself that you're experiencing right now. What would you say to that? Well, I mean, there's a couple of ways I could respond to that. Um, You know, I guess argument number one might be there may have been 10 billion universes that that have formed, uh, you know, throughout the cosmos, whatever we call the multiverse, uh, you know, and there may have only been one out of that 10 billion universes that have formed over, over the last 20 billion years, say, uh, and you know, and all those other universes, there's nobody there to sit there, sit around and ponder it. We're, we're the exception because we do have intelligence because we can sit there and ponder it, but there, you don't know how many times 
this experiment in nature uh, has occurred and has failed. So the fact that it's highly unlikely doesn't mean that it still can't happen. And, you know, I, we might be the one exception. So I, I guess that's one answer to that. Because in all those other universes, if there's nothing intelligent to ponder it, then there's nothing to talk about. You know, the other thing is that it seems like as we learn more, uh, you know, now I think a lot of people, and again, I'm, I'm not a biologist. This is not my, my area of expertise. But it seems like a lot of people are coming around more to the idea that life almost has to, to spring forth. Uh, you know, if, if the rules of the universe are right, you know, and the conditions are right, it's almost a foregone conclusion that life starts to, to spawn from it. Now that could be multi, that could be single cellular life, that could be multicellular life, and it certainly doesn't have to necessarily be intelligent life, but life itself might actually be the norm uh, when you know when we really get out there and, and start exploring space. That might be what we find out. And then we're going to reverse it here a minute, uh, a little bit too, because I did have a question come up, and I, I want to get your opinion on this. Uh, a lot of people say that and we're going to go back to to god on this because uh, and i'm sure a lot of the people on your page that i've and i'm a member of his of, of ben's page and there's nothing wrong i don't want people to say it's anti-ben time but i'm i'm a member of his page and i like what he puts on there um but there i i guess the way i want to put this is a lot of people believe that we are put on this planet in order to evolve, so evolution, but in a different way. We're, we're able to evolve mentally to move on to a higher plane of existence once we pass away. And I know a lot of people in your group do not believe or give credit to the Bible or other religious things that are, uh, that are out there as far as the written word and all that. But a lot of people, um, they believe in the Bible. They believe it's spiritually motivated. They believe that uh, a, a God... Uh, you know, through his mentoring or through his influence, man wrote it. Um, do you, f and I know you've said this before that you just feel that, you know, the meaning of life is basically just, uh, you know, we live, we die and we mate in the middle of it. And that's the meaning of life. But uh, do, do you follow that there could be more out there and we are evolving to a higher existence or, or are you just set on that? This is it. And there's, there's just nothing after you die here. I, I see no evidence of that. I mean, I, I would be thrilled if somebody could come along and tell me that that's really the case, that there's, uh, you know, and it, it wouldn't matter to some degree whether we're talking about reincarnation or, you know, a, a Christian God or something completely different. Uh, Thor hanging out, you know, in Valhalla, you know, and we drink all for all eternity. That sounds like that could be fun, too. You know, so... I'm not opposed to that. I would think that would be kind of cool if that were true. It's just one of those things that sounds like a cool idea that doesn't necessarily mean that it's reality. And I don't have any evidence for that. But if somebody said, hey, look, you know, I've talked to God and I'm an authority on this. And here's all these things I can do to prove that I'm an authority on this. And God says, this is what I want you to do. Then I'd be listening I'd be paying real close attention. So it's not some sort of rebellion against a God, if this God existed. It's, I've just, you know, I've, I followed that 
line of thinking for the first 32 years of my life, and it never got me anywhere. So at some point, you just drop the premise and get on with it. So, Ben, let me ask you a question. If you were, if I was to tell you someone who graduated from MIT became a physicist, aerospace, and now owns their own business, you know, in a, in a, my part of the country, if I told you that person believed in God, would you think I'm crazy because she's a physicist? Not at all. Uh, again, I told you, was, my mentor at Notre Dame was a physicist, and well, he believed in God. Well, interesting is she doesn't believe – she didn't really believe in God, and she was a scientist, and she believed in all, you know, Big Bang, matter, the whole works, but she knew something had to come before matter. But she said she's had experiences, paranormal experiences at her business and her home, things that she can't explain, and she's tried to debunk these things over and over, and she can't. She asked professionals come in and say hey explain to me how this is happening other scientists and they're like we can't explain this and that's turned her actually believing in god now because she said there's no way possible this could be happening according to modern science laws mathematics things like that well she's not the norm we know that right we, we all agree <laughs> right. that she's i was probably... shocked to find i was shocked to hear that <laughs> so... but i would love to talk to her i mean you know i would love to hear you know about what she's seen and what she's heard and if she started from this, you know, place where she didn't believe anything, but yet she had an open mind about it and she's changed her mind because of the evidence that she's gathered, this is exactly the kind of person that I would love to talk to. Absolutely. There you go, Kevin. Set it up, man. Well, I, I, we're going to go out and see her here soon, but I just, yeah, I just thought it was yeah. interesting because of her background and being a physicist and how she is, it was just kind of, it was enlightening to find somebody in that field that would actually be open to God now more than, cause usually like Dean said, we meet people in science field and it's usually, it's usually a little combatants. And I, I don't know why it is, but there usually is that, you know, they automatically want to just put up the wall right away. I think it's, I think it's what happens in a lot of stuff, especially now in, in the days of the internet, uh, People get polarized. People make their arguments over and over again. They don't feel like the other side's listening to them. They don't feel like when the other side makes arguments that it's uh, a valid argument. It's the same stuff they heard over and over again. And and people get, well, you, you don't want to say closed-minded, but they certainly get into their position, and they just won't come out of it. I don't think that's healthy for anybody to do that, and we all have to sort of fight that urge to do that. But that also goes back to what I said earlier. If you've talked to 100 people, they've all told you, well, this, this, and this, and you, you've investigated it, and it led nowhere. Then when person number 101 comes along and wants you to investigate the same thing, you're probably going to say, hey, you know, no, I've, I've been down this road before, and I'm not doing it again. My time's valuable to me. So what's your opinion on the Bible, Ben? I've, I've got a question about that. Your opinion on the Bible? Uh, it's pure fiction, uh, you know, written by, not to be mean, uh, but written by nomads in the desert, you know, of uh, 2,000 years ago. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of elaborate on that a little bit myself because I have a theory on that. I believe that there is a lot of truth in the Bible, but... On the same aspect, I don't 
you know, they, they've been people, and uh, I can't think of where it was, but I th- I, there was a TV show, and I'm going to uh, blanking me right now. I want to say National Geographic, but I don't think that's what it was. But they went back and they took the Bible and they actually explained it through scientific means where it could actually have happened the way they said it was. But by the time the explanation got done, and I, I'm going to give an example of that real quick, like the Exodus from the the Jewish exodus from Egypt, a lot of people say it didn't happen, but now we found out that there was a uh, a Pharaoh uh, that there was one Pharaoh that believed in one God, and then when he passed away, the next Pharaoh kind of erased everything that he believed in, and a lot of people say that's where the Jewish exodus occurred, and that it was erased in time by that Pharaoh, and that's not part of my statement. I just kind of brought that up, but the reason I'm bringing that up is because a part of the Bible, when they say they're walking across the desert, uh, they would say that God was a pillar of fire during the day and a pillar of smoke at night. Or, I'm sorry, a pillar of smoke during the day and a pillar of fire at night. But if you go back and look at it from an archaeological aspect, when people traveled through the desert in big groups, they would light a big fire in front of them to lead the way so the people in the back would be able to see where the front is so they would go in a straight line. And, and they would do that at night, and during the day it would be a pillar of, of smoke, so they would follow the smoke. So there is truth to it, but I think that during the time from ancient writers to modern-day writers, it's been elaborated to be so spiritualized to become unbelievable. And I think there's a lot of truth in the Bible. I just think that uh, as time has went on, that we have elaborated on the, the things that happen. We don't look at the Bible written in 500 BC is how it was written in 500 BC because back then everything had a spiritual context to it. No matter if it was a, you know, like you said, Thor or Zeus or or Jehovah or whatever you wanted to say, everything that happened was blamed on the gods, whether it be good or bad. And I think if we looked at it from a 21st century standpoint and looked back and tried to understand it more logically, that it makes more sense. But- it's Halloween night, and trick-or-treaters are near. Did you stock up on Butterfinger this year? Give them their crispity, crunchity, peanut buttery treat. No tricks, just Butterfinger. Here's a good Halloween trick. Buy a bunch of Reese's. Uh-huh, there you go. Turn off all the lights in your house. Yeah, yeah. And then just don't answer the door. I'm sorry, Reese's. Introducing McDonald's new one two three dollar menu with favorites for one dollar like any size soft drink or two dollars like a sausage McGriddles or three dollar favorites including Happy Meals. It's your menu. Use it to build the my roommate ate my lunch meal, the breakfast is on me meal, or the father and son meal. So you said two McChicken and a medium Sprite for only three dollars. Exactly. It's your menu with your favorites. Build whatever meal you want. The all new one two three dollar menu from McDonald's. This advertiser is from Newport, Pennsylvania. Hi, my name is Ben from McMillan Photography. And I'm Kaylee. We're in the middle of engagement season. As wedding photographers, we know just how important your wedding day is to you and your family. And just how hard it is to choose a wedding photographer. That's why, if you're engaged to be married, we want to give you and your fiancé a free engagement session. No tricks, no gimmicks, and absolutely no obligations. Take us for a test drive before you book your wedding photographer. Give McMillan Photography a call at 724-550-1000 or visit us online at mcmweddings.com. Come in for a quick 20-minute session, and we'll even throw in a free 8x10 print so you can see the quality of our work. Again, no strings attached. Just a totally free engagement session from McMillan Photography. 
call 724-550-1000 or online at www.mcmweddings.com. McMillan Photography. We love what we do. That mouth. That poor, parched mouth. So dry. What'd you eat for lunch? Chalk dust? Did your face storm a sandcastle? Did your mouth cannonball into a barrel of mothballs? You're being awfully quiet. Is that because your mouth feels like the business end of a Dremel saw? Is it because your mouth just wrote a haiku and all 17 syllables are dry heaves? Do you even listen to your mouth? Because right now your mouth thinks its biological parents are a half sheet of 80 grit sandpaper and a box of fish food. You're so parched. You know it. I know it. The entire radio knows it. Just admit it. You want a Mountain Dew? Your mouth feels like it just inhaled the insides of a punching bag, and the only remedy is that neon green potion. Right now, your mouth could be tongue-bathing in the refreshing citrus kick of Mountain Dew. Instead, it feels like you've been motorboating King Tut's sarcophagus. What was that? Was that your parched mouth crying for help, or a porcupine making whoopee with a cardboard box? Wrong. It's your mouth. Show some mercy. Crack open a nice cold Mountain Dew. Ah. You know your mouth wants you to. Do the deal. I did what you said, Doc. Changed everything. You switched to the Capital One Quicksilver card. And how do you feel? Like a burden's been lifted. Those other cards made you sign up for bonus cash back. Then they changed categories on you every few months. Then you had to keep signing up. You deserve better. Now get out there and keep earning that 1.5% cash back on every purchase everywhere. Thanks, Doc. I'm not a doctor. What? Time to go. What's in your wallet? Well, folks, we had a poltergeist come in and mess with our system, so we were a little bit out of it there. But we've, we've, uh, I want to say exercised him, but I don't think he does push-ups too well. So our technical difficulties are gone. We're back with the show now. If you want to call in, it's 888-429-5471. 888-429-5471. If you want to learn about our upcoming guests, go to KentuckyGhostHunter.com. Spelled out, KentuckyGhostHunter.com. Now, Ben, uh, we had some technical difficulties, and I asked a big, long question, and now we both almost forgot what I asked, but let me refresh your memory a little bit. Please. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to, because now I'm sitting there, what did I ask Ben? I know I asked him something really good there, and it's gone now. Uh, I would ask you if you had a beer tonight, but we'll skip that for another day. Um, the question was that, you know, back in the 500 BC or whatever that is, back then when everything was written, uh, it was written for that time period, and a lot of people in the 21st century look at the Bible for a 21st century aspect and makes it look really um, unbelievable, I guess it is. And, and my question, I guess, was, using that analogy, can you see any truth to the Bible if it was if it was written, the events were written the way they, the events were true, but they were written in a way that would look for that time period as, you know, spiritual, well, that explains why I forgot the question, because I actually sat here. I was sitting here answering that question and thinking you guys could hear me the whole time. I got to do it all over again. <laughs> Let's see if I can remember what I said then. Um, I'm sure that it is based on, you know, actual events. I think it's, you know, it's like the telephone game, right? Uh, it got retold over the generations before there was a lot of written language and, Things got blew, blown out of proportion, but are there elements of truth to it? Absolutely. Um, now, would I add any spiritual level to it? No, probably not me personally. No, uh, you know, but I understand that others do. 
Well, I kind of asked that to ask another question. I'm good okay. at that sometimes, but uh, it kind of leads into the second question. And my second question is, if there is truth to the Bible historically, and let's just assume that it is, could it not also be truth that as a a people that were put on here, let's say there was, just for argument's sake, let's say there was a higher being, and that higher being, in order for us to accept existence beyond this earth, we had to learn it on our own. And so... Basically, and, and let me, I think, I can't remember the name of the magazine. I did an interview that's coming out next month. I think it's Pure Truth Magazine, but I explained this and this. And I don't have the information in front of me here. But when the Bible was first written, the word, and if you remember back into the, uh, the part where Moses obtained the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai, uh, when he asked before he went back to uh, uh, talk to the Egyptian Pharaoh out there about releasing the Jewish people. Uh, Moses asked the uh, entity, I'll say, or whatever, God or whoever you want to claim it to be, what your name was. Well, and I can't remember the ag- actual pronunciation, but if you go back to the actual writing, the actual Hebrew writing, the meaning of the word uh, was simply, I breathe. And from there, it has been twisted over the years and if you remember the movie that uh, Charlton Heston was in, it said, I am what I am. Uh, that's not exactly what the true meaning of the word was. But, and I guess I get to my point here real quick. If there was a being out there that had created us and was trying to say, look, you have to evolve your own to come to exist on our plane of existence because right now you're too, uh, I'll say, inferior to, to be able to live. Or maybe you're just being, you know, this is our process when we die. Our spirit moves on somewhere else, but it only can do that if we were prepared to do it. But if the entity is just saying, hey, I exist, and you need to basically learn that there's more to this universe than what you believe in, once you die here, there's a different existence or a different plane of existence that you're not able to comprehend because you have to open your mind to it on your own. And I think that's been the theme throughout the centuries and a lot of times the religions get it wrong where they they put words on whether this is the way it is or you're going to go to hell or this is the way it is i think it's a learning process that you go through from stage one to death where you are evolving just like you say evolution but your mind or your spirit is evolving too so that you're able to move on to a different plane of existence and saying all that Uh what is your opinion on that I know it was long-winded, but it was a long-winded question to come to you and say, what do you think about that, or is that feasible in your mind as far as the scientist is concerned? Well, you know, the the Bible itself says we see through the glass darkly, right? And and all will be revealed to us later. Uh, one thing about most atheists, you'll find that they know their Bible um, or whatever it was they believed before they became atheists. So I'm going to say something, and then I can I can hear the millions of people going, but 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 when I when I say this, but you know if if you're a god and you set people up so that they don't know anything, and you tell them that you know you have to find your own way, what a jackass! What kind of god would do that? If I wrote an AI program and said, you know. I'm going to teach this AI program everything I know so that it can evolve and become smarter than me. That's one thing. But if I write a piece of code and I say, 
You go figure it out on your own now. Uh, you know, well, guess what? That software is not going to work. You know, it's probably not going to ever evolve into anything anybody's ever going to want to look at because it's going to be too busy trying to learn the basics to ever be interesting to anybody. That's horrible. And, you know, if that's what God did, then I'm sorry, but your God is a jackass. Uh, that's so unfair. That is so wrong if that's the universe you put me in. It's just like arguing that God made the universe look older than it really is, you know, just to fool us so that he could weed out the people that, you know, operate on faith versus the people that operate on intelligence. Um, if that's the way your God works, I don't want to have anything to do with him. He's a jerk. I don't know if it's it's uh, evolution to a part where you learn things. I, I think what it amounts to, and the way we're getting to this is that it's the ability to we have to have the ability to think outside of the box before we can accept something that's unacceptable to our mind. Our science, I guess, unacceptable to what we believe in now because we don't know enough. But I think, uh, and Kevin, you told me this one time as a story where somebody told somebody to draw a big circle on a paper and then say put a mark in the circle for how much knowledge we have of the universe. And there was a little dot in the circle by the time the guy was done. And, and he said, yeah, but that's how much more we have to learn. And as a scientist, I know you agree with that we, we probably scratched the surface as far as the universe is concerned, but I don't think, yeah, I don't think it's a learning process where we learn about the universe. I think it's more of a, a process of understanding exactly what I just depicted by the circle is we don't know anything yet, but we have to be able to think outside of the box to be able to uh, move on to a different plane. And I, you know, and, and a lot of people, and I hate to say this because it might make some people mad on my end too, that there's a lot of people out there that, and I don't, well, I'll just say it, there's a lot of people out there that look at what a God could do as a spiritual standpoint when they don't understand that if there is a God, then this entity or whatever is billions of times advanced compared to what we are if our universe is a billion years old. I personally don't believe that the universe and all that is a few hundred years old or a few thousand. I think that that's been taken out of context from the Bible, if the Bible's true in day one. But if, and I guess where I'm going with this, if God is what he says he is, we could... We would look at somebody as a God now where he's not looking at himself as a God. He's saying, I'm just a person, but you're not scientifically advanced as much as I am. So you would look at me as a God. Right. What would, what would you think about that? Well, I mean, you know, I'm thinking about the Arthur C. Clarke quote, you know, where he said, any technology sufficiently advanced looks like magic. But I'm also thinking about how, if I remember right, you know, the whole thing started with this God character saying, I'm lonely. I want to have other beings in the universe to interact with. So let's start from that premise, because I believe that's a, a biblical premise. And if I'm wrong, you know, feel free to correct me. But, okay, so I'm God. I've existed forever, and I'm tired of being alone. So I create these other entities that can think because I'm lonely and I want to have somebody to talk to. Well, so what does it benefit me to then hide myself from these people? Uh, I invented them so that I could have somebody to talk with, and it seems grossly unfair that you would make a system that I'm not obvious 
you know, and even even if you say that religion is real and and you know has meaning, have people fight over which version of the religion is right. Why would you do that? As a, even as a god, why would you do that? Unless you were just cruel and you enjoyed watching people fight amongst themselves, you know. And and so if that's the kind of god you are, then I'm not going to worship you anyway. I don't. I don't know if it's. I see where you're coming with that, but I I have a belief in that too. That the you know, and it goes back to what I said about the original version of the Bible. And I'm not. You know, there's other versions of religious books out there. So if there's you know somebody. Right. Listening, I don't want you to think I'm putting down, you know, your particular religion. I'm not. I'm just going. I'm using the Bible as a reference because that's what well, I know the best. I don't know anything about the Quran. I don't know anything about exactly any of the other stuff. All American. We're all raised, you know, with the Judeo-Christian ideal, and that's the context that we have these conversations from. But it's not that we necessarily want to leave anybody out. Yeah, and I, I don't want anybody to think that's what we're doing because it's not. But referring back to what I was going to say. I, and I'm of a belief too, and you'll probably agree with this. I don't think there is different versions written of the Bible. I don't think there's different aspects to it. We, personally, on a standpoint from day one when the Bible was written till today, if you look at the history of the Bible, nobody has gotten anything right about the Bible at all. If Jesus was who he says he was, then, you know. The Jewish people didn't get it right, and neither did anybody else because they believed he was going to be an earthly ruler, and from the beginning, he wasn't supposed to be. But right. from from the time of, you know, we've never gotten anything, basically, we've never gotten anything right about the Bible. And I think that's what the fight is about a lot of times when it comes to different religions is because it's just like the paranormal. I can hear something on an EVP. You'll hear something different. Kevin will hear something different because we did this on our show before and not one person ever heard the same thing. And I think that's the same thing when it comes to religion and the Bible is everybody I believes think awesome what they want to believe. I think made that observation, though, because I, it seems like all the evidence that the ghost hunters bring in is very you know, subjective. So I'm, I'm glad that you sort of are backing me up on that one. Oh, no, I've, I, if you've listened to it, well, I hope you start listening to it now that you've been on it. But <laughs> I've been saying that since day one. One of the problems we have in paranormal is just like in religion is everybody basically does their own thing. They don't have any organized – you know, like if you were a scientist and you were getting ready to – and I don't mean to get off the subject of the Bible. But if you were a scientist and you were getting ready to go in and you were getting ready to perform an experiment on something, you're not going to – do it one way and then have somebody else that's in your field go do it a totally opposite way. Right. There's got to be some kind of unity in it. And I'm going to have to agree with you in that. The evidence that we present as paranormal people that gives us our biggest problem is there's no unity whatsoever as far as how we proceed in, in obtaining our evidence or even proving or disproving our evidence. Uh, and I, you know, some people get an EVP and they'll go, Hey, this means Pepsi, but it doesn't sound like Pepsi. You know what right. I'm saying? I, I was actually listening to a spirit box one time where it came up and said, this is WKCT, which if anybody knows what spirit box is, it runs off radio. And uh, what it was, WKCT was the radio. It was the local radio broadcast, but somebody heard something totally different. So I guess I understand what you're saying with that. And I think it's the same thing with religion is we've got, you know, you've got Christian, well, not Christian, but you've got Lutheran, you've got Catholic, you've got Baptist, you've got Church of Christ, you've got... Oh, Lord, there's so many of them out there. It's ridiculous. But none of them see the same thing. 
even though it's the same thing, uh, you know, if I say ask Dr. Ben and it means ask Dr. Ben, but if somebody else looks at it and said, no, it doesn't say ask Dr. Ben, it says question Dr. Ben. And then it goes on and on and on. And I think that's what the problem is. And I'm being long winded again, but I think that's the problem is nobody will sit down and say, Hey, this is the way it is and stay with the same premise. It's the same in paranormal. I think it's the same in religion. I have a, I have a question, Dean. Yeah. So Ben, if you, um, I'll throw something past you here. Give me your feedback. There's been documents from Father Morte and, you know, exorcisms, people who get possessed, they say. And these people, we've actually come across, we actually had a case ourselves where we had a young child, 10 years old, who was writing things in a dead language, in Hebrew. And they were saying things they shouldn't have been saying. He knew things he shouldn't have known. How does somebody who has no experience in a dead language which hasn't been spoken in 2,000 years, how can they talk in that language or write that language without having any knowledge of it? I don't know. That would be really interesting if somebody did that. But first of all, you tell me it's a dead language, and that's fine. I, you know, Latin, that's a dead language, right? Well, you know, um, well, this but was somebody the- knows the language or otherwise this would just be nothing but incoherent babble, you know. Well, so, this was- our case it was ancient. It was ancient Hebrew, and they actually they said it was a dead language. We actually had our pastor actually knew somebody at a uh, college, a professor of a whatever they were you know, into ancient studies, and he actually sent him the information off. To, so we didn't know what it, we didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what the symbols even were. I was to me it was just drawings, but they came back with exactly what it said. And you know, I just I'm like, how do you how can the kid know that? Like, you can't go online and look that up. You can't just draw a symbol online and tells you what that means and it's it's just it's not i guess the information could be out there but it's not accessible it's not easily gotten if it's not accessible that's interesting Uh, and and again i would i would love to you know see evidence of that i would love to study that uh because that sounds like a really interesting problem to to try to wrap your head around and, and again, I guess I want to emphasize the fact that I'm not necessarily looking at it as a way to debunk it, but I would be really interested in seeing somebody that did that. Now, that said, the only thing I can offer is I do remember watching a show years ago about somebody that supposedly had a previous life. And they were put under hypnotism of all things, which even that's kind of like, is that a real thing, hypnotism? But the guy would recall, he was talking about being in the Crimean War of all things, which is pretty obscure. Uh, And he was talking about a certain type of rifle that he carried. And he got it wrong when they went and talked to, he was under hypnotic trance and he was recalling all this stuff. And when they went to the historians, they said, well, you know, that rifle didn't exist in the same year that this guy said that he was carrying that rifle. And then they went and they did research and they actually found a book, a a fiction book about the Crimean War that the guy had read as a a 10-year-old, as a 12-year-old. And he had his imagination kicked in as he was reading the book and he could imagine himself being in that scene, and he had internalized it as a personal memory. 
but he had never actually lived that previous life because he got the facts wrong. So there are people that do that kind of thing. They will read a book, they will look at something, and they'll internalize it. They'll let their imagination take them somewhere like that. And they'll believe that they really did experience that previous life or are able to speak that dead language or whatever. And they're actually very good at it. And it's the only, and the only reason you ever even figure out what's going on there is by cross-referencing with, you know, what other people know. So I think that kind of thing happens all the time. That somebody's read a book, they've internalized it, they believe that this is what's really going on, and it's not that they're being dishonest. And I think that's the problem with a lot of skeptics is they can be really, you know, they can really be really cruel about it, you know. But a lot of people really believe the things that they believe, uh, you know, and it's not that they're trying to be liars about it or, or they just want attention. They actually think that, you know, they lived that previous life or that they know that dead language when actually they've only picked up on a few words. So uh, now, you know, I think that kind of thing happens all the time. So now, Ben, we've only got a few minutes left here. I'm dying to hear your ghost story before we go off. You told me you had a ghost story you, you could relate to us. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. I didn't want to be, you know, I didn't want to push that on you because it takes, uh, if I give you the Reader's Digest version, it still takes five minutes to tell it to you. Well, we got 15, so go for it. Tell, tell us the good version. Okay. So, again, let's go back. Uh, at this point, we're going back 40 years. I was maybe 14 years old. I was a carpenter's aide. Uh, I was working with my brother, um, and we were working on this farmhouse out in the middle of nowhere. And we got really clever because it was it was you know just outside of Memphis, uh, you know, in the summer. So it was 100 degrees in the shade, and we decided that we were going to shingle this house that we were working on this this house that we were restoring. This old farmhouse that was 100 years old that nobody had lived in for 40 years, you know. And so we're like, okay, we're having to reshingle this house, and they're tar shingles, and they're hot as hell. And let's do this. So we ran all of these spotlights up on the roof of this, this old farmhouse. And we're like, we're going to come back late at night when it's cool and we're going to start shingling this house in the dark and we're just going to use the spotlights for light. So we went out there at 11 o'clock at night, this old, old out in the middle of the country, out in the middle of nowhere, which of course is now a suburb of Memphis because this was again, 40 years ago. But, and, and there had been just to give you this, this sort of setup, there had been stories that hobos lived in the house, people died in the house, it was haunted, all this and that, because nobody had lived in it for 30 years and we were restoring it. So we went out there in the dark and we ran all these spotlights and we were going to shingle in the middle of the night. And this particular house didn't have electricity. So the only electricity we had was a single junction box that the power company had brought out there and had maybe a 40 amp current service through the single junction box 
temporarily mounted to this pole, you know, at the side of the house. And so we ran all these lights and we went out there at 11 o'clock at night and we turned on the lights. We set everything up. We turned everything up. Everything works. Everything's great. And so we came out there that night and we turned on the lights. We crawled up there on the, on the roof and we started to go to work. And one minute into starting to shingle that roof, the lights went out on us. So we had to crawl down on this really treacherous, you know, because yeah, this house, by the way, looked a lot like an Amityville horror type house with the really steep pitches on the roofs and stuff. Um, and and people had commented how it looked like an Amityville horror type house. So we got up there, we started shingling, and the lights went out. The circuit breaker popped, the lights went out. We were like, oh shit. And so we crawled down on these really treacherous roofs, found the ladder in the dark, got back down, reset the circuit breaker, went back up on the roof and started shingling again. And a minute later, the lights went out. And we're like, wow, that's really weird. And so we went back down, we reset the shingles, a we reset the circuit breaker a second time, the lights came back on, we crawled back up on the roof, and guess what? Third time, lights go out. We were up on the roof, like the most treacherous place we can be. And we got to crawl down and we're like, that's it. We're done. Whatever's going on, we're not staying here. It's me and my older brother. I was, I was the carpenter's aide. My older brother was a carpenter. And we're like, we're done. We're packing up our tools. We're getting the hell out of here. Because we're freaked out at this point. We're like, why do these lights keep going off when they seem perfectly fine during the day? So we turn on the lights one more time, and when we're not on the roof, they seem to keep going. And we go back to collect our tools. We walk in the front door of this old farmhouse, and I freeze up. My brother says I turn white as a sheet because I see this shadow on the wall that looks like a hobo. And by the way, that was one of the rumors was, you know, hobos lived in the house and all this, you know, all this and that for, you know, 20 years because it was uninhabited and the homeless people would go in there for shelter. And so I see the shadow on the wall and I freeze up and I turn white as a sheet, according to my brother. And it's, it, I'm truly scared. I'm like 14 years old. So this is like not cool to me. And, and at this point, by the way, remember that I'm religious, so I believe in spirits and ghosts and, you know, that the soul continues even after the body's dead. And my brother says that he looked at it and it scared him too. Now, my brother was, he's dead now. We'll talk about that in a minute, but... Um, my brother was eight years older than me, so I was maybe 14, he was maybe 22, and he said he saw the shadow, and he, and he, he believed it too, that he saw like the shadow of this guy in like this top hat, and you could see the top hat, you could see the brim of the top hat, you could see the, the eye sockets, you know, in profile, you could see the nose, the chin, the lips, all of that, and he started to run away. And it's not that I was braver than he, I was literally frozen in fear. 
But in that 10 seconds that I had to stare at the shadow, finally something in my higher brain kicked in and said, you know what? This is a really scary looking shadow, but it's not moving. It's not saying anything. It's not coming after me. And finally, I realized that this is just a shadow. Whatever it is, it's just a shadow. So we had set a light bulb in the windowsill in the front of this old farmhouse. And as even with modern houses, it's still true. Uh, a lot of time, the stairs that go up the second level are right there within the front door, right there in the foyer within, you know, where you come in the front door. And these, this old farmhouse had this really nice crown molding all over, including on the banister on the staircase. And what I finally realized is it was that crown molding being projected against the wall on the staircase. And it, yeah, it looked like a top hat because the top part of the banister, or the top part of the post that supported the banister was flat. And it had like a brim area and it had like eye sockets. But it was nothing more than a light source being projected against the wall, a single light source you know, from a single light bulb in the window in the front room. And it looked all the world like a, like a human face in profile, but it was nothing more than that crown molding being projected against the wall. And I, I was terrorized. I mean, I, you know, I thought it was a real ghost and my brother thought it was a real ghost to the point that he was running away. And I was too, and the only reason I didn't run away is because I was too scared to do it. But I realized that it's just a shadow. And eventually we were able to, we were still freaked out. We still collected our tools and got the hell out of there that night. We weren't, we weren't going to root the house. It didn't matter. So the only thing that was sort of random and weird was that the, the way that the lights cut off you know, because it was on the single circuit breaker and single junction box, you know, and they would pull a certain amount of current and they'd flip the circuit breaker and that was the end of it. We, we'd run a lot of spotlights on the roof and it was a little bit random, but it was still nothing more than a trick of the circuit breakers, the electricity and the shadows. But because I was religious at that point in time and because i did believe in ghosts and because i did hear the stories even during the day as i was working on this house trying to restore it you know i believed it i i saw this thing and i believed it was a ghost of some hobo that had died in that house and i was scared to death almost literally and my brother was too and the funny thing about that story is that my brother would tell that story again and again for the next 20 years, and I would have to correct him. I would have to say, remember, yes, we saw what we thought was a ghost. We ran away from it, or you ran away from it. I was too scared to run away. And it was. It turned out to be nothing but a shadow, and we ended up collecting our tools and getting the hell out of there just like we planned on doing all along. And his wife came and picked us up, and that was the end of the story. But in that moment, when I saw that shadow inside the front door, I thought I had seen a real honest-to-God specter. 
and it was coming to get me. It was evil. It was not at all a nice thing to, to, to confront. And it was ready to talk to me about being in that house at 11 o'clock at night out the country in the middle of nowhere. And it was only later that it, it was only 10, 20, 30 seconds later when I was frozen in fear that I realized that it was nothing but light being cast against the wall. And so my brother would tell this story and he would talk about the ghost and how we ran away. And because my, that particular brother was prone to storytelling and I would have to correct him for 20 years after that and go, yeah, you're right. We saw the shadow. It scared the hell out of us. We wanted to run. Well, you ran away. I wanted to run away, but couldn't. And it turned out to be nothing but a shadow. It turned out to be nothing but crown molding projected against the wall from a single light source in the, in the front window sill. So what changed your mind about uh, God, Ben? You, you keep you were used to be a Christian, and uh, you changed. What what changed your mind about being a Christian? Well, you know, it's funny. I've had people tell me that, you know, it was my scientific training. Uh, I made it all the way through uh, grad school. Uh, I'd already gotten my doctorate. I was teaching, by the way, at a Christian college, uh, you know, my first teaching gig. But at some point, it just didn't. It was one of these things where I said, this premise doesn't work for me. It's not doing anything to, you know, I can pray as much as I want for a better job or for, you know, not even for selfish reasons, but maybe because my wife was concerned about paying the bills. And my life didn't change until I I took control of it and changed, you know, what job I had and what direction my career was going in. And this God person wasn't helping me, no matter how often I appealed to him and how much I prayed. And guess what? If this God person is not helping you and not doing anything for you, then why are you talking to him? Why are you even assuming he exists or that he even hears you? And so that was the realization I came to when I finally said, you know, this is an assumption that I'm making that's not doing anything to help me in my life. So let me ask you a question. Your wife's a Christian, correct? She still is a Christian. And she's been very patient with me, and she's been very understanding of me, even though I'm unequally yoked as an unbeliever with her at this point in life. Uh, what was her first name again? Annie. Annie. Is she sitting there? Can she hear me? She actually uh, just went to bed about 10 minutes ago because it's, you know, it's almost midnight here, and she's got to yeah. go to work in the morning. I was going to just ask her real quick if she's ever whooped your butt for anything because you don't believe. <laughs> she's actually been amazingly understanding about that. And I don't know if her idea is that I'll eventually come around or she was raised Methodist. I was raised Southern Baptist and we were a lot more fundamentalist. So as you can imagine, my family is, you know, less understanding and less accepting of my beliefs now than she and her family are. Uh, but her family's cool with it. They're like, you know, you'll eventually come around or it'll be okay or whatever God that does exist will forgive you for it. Uh, and, and she doesn't stress over it. Uh, you know, again, if my parents finally got the memo at some point, my oldest brother finally got the memo at some point, 
Uh, and it's, it's tearing them up to know that this is my belief system now. Uh, you know, and they, I'll, you know, it, it's not, it's a few weeks from now, I'll go home for Thanksgiving and you can bet there'll be a conversation about it. But my wife is, is completely golden about it. She's, she's understanding. She's accepting. She, she knows that that's just the way I am. And it's, well, I told you I, I had my changeover at 32 years old. I'm 54 now. So she's been very patient with me. You know, if she's concerned about it, she's been very patient with me for the last 22 years. That's good to have a good wife. Now, uh, tell me about, we only got a minute left. Tell me about your uh, Facebook page and how to get connected with you if anybody needs to and all that good stuff. Well, you know, I used to go through this long-winded, you know, link to my Facebook page. I made it a lot easier now. Uh, www.askdrben.org. That will get you to a website that is mine and has all kinds of links to the Facebook page, which is still where I do 99% of my conversations and, and all of that. But if you go to askdrben.org, you'll, you'll come right to my page. You'll have links to the Facebook and you can like or subscribe my page and you can talk to this. You can talk to me about this as much as you like. Sounds awesome. Now you're going to go on a ghost hunt with me when I invite you up here, right? I've never turned down one yet of the two that I've been offered to go on. I've gone and I've proactively gone on a couple. Uh, I don't mention them because they're, you know, usually like pay as you go, you know, like the Charlotte ghost hunt or the, you know, so those are commercial and maybe they know what they're doing. Maybe they don't, but I won't bring those up other than to say that I've done everything I can to meet people halfway. Are you going to bring one of those spectral things when you come up? I will try to find one if you ask me to. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to remind me to ask you because sometimes I forget. Kevin, remind me to ask him when he comes down to bring one. <laughs> I know people, I have resources, and if you want me to try to do my own type of analysis on whatever we're looking at, then, yeah, I'll, I'll do what I can. All right, that sounds wonderful because that's a, I kind of was going to suggest you do that when you came up. I'd like for you to come join us and uh maybe do it your way and uh bring what you think you would need to bring and maybe we can because i don't i don't like going to commercialized places myself and i think uh, kevin's been to some and i have been to some but we prefer to do things that aren't really commercialized it's a lot better that way we feel anyway so i'm I'm inviting you down to do your thing when we can figure it out how's that oh we absolutely will uh you know if if you tell me you got something to see, then I'll I'll come look at it with you, and I'll bring as much instrumentation as I can muster. Sounds great. Sounds great. I appreciate you being on today, Ben. I've yeah, enjoyed thanks, it. Ben. It's been a great night. Great. I appreciate it. And, guys, it's uh, 11 o'clock. We're getting ready to sign off here. If you want to uh, check out uh, Ben and how to get to him or hear his past show, just go to KentuckyGhostHunter.com. There's a link there to go to it. It should be on there by tomorrow. Next week's guest is Nikki Allen. European TV psychic and uh, author. She's also a featured writer of Spirit of Destiny magazine, Take a Break, Haunted magazine, and she's a former detective of Essex Police Force. I guess that's, where's Essex at? I guess that's uh, Europe, isn't it? Yeah. But she's going to be on, yeah, she's yeah, England. Like Britain. Yeah, yeah, I think it is, and she's she's going to be on next week, and uh, she's she can, 
she's a good person and i hope you know i thought we'll learn some stuff here but i appreciate everybody listening to our show tonight and we'll check you out next week same time same place same channel we love-